Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and this is another interview in our Necessary Conversation series. And today we're talking to Victoria Lowell. She goes by Vicky, and she's a financial advocate, a coach, an international best-selling author. The title of her uh, latest book, the book that uh, won awards, is Empower Your Worth, A Woman's Guide to Increasing Self-Worth and Net Worth. She's the founder of Empowered Worth, a financial education platform that empowers women to become active participants in their own financial future and well-being. In late 2018, she left Wall Street and followed her passion to help women assert themselves fiscally. Her expertise in this field has led to her hosting her podcast, hosting conferences, webinars, motivational speaking, and being a guest on many TV, radio shows, and podcasts. It's my pleasure to welcome Vicki Lowell to the show. Vicki, hey. thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be on and to, and to be part of this conversation, which I think is it's it's the time has come for us to talk about women and money. All right. Well, let's talk about women and money. So was it something in your background that drove you to go out on your own and focus specifically on helping women? Yeah, I mean, I am the empowered wharf woman. I was the quintessential um, Cuban American princess, married the guy I met in college. He provides, you know, incredibly, and I was able to be a stay at home mom for about 10 years and totally abdicated my financial responsibility in our marriage. I let him handle everything. Um, he was great with it, but we hit the market crash of 2008, and I turned to him and said, uh, What's our mortgage? And I realized, I don't know what my mortgage payment is. I didn't know what our car payments were. I was completely lost. I knew what I spent on shoes. And I knew what the kids were spending on ballet classes. But I didn't know what the real monthly nut was. And I felt very much, um, I had a lot of anxiety about it, as a lot of people did back then. So I decided I got to get involved in my finances. My husband worked in finance. I ended up working for him at a Wall Street firm um, on his team. I ended up becoming a financial advisor. And I kept seeing that women were just like me. I wasn't an oddity. And that's when I decided I need to leave the space. I need to stop managing money actively and start working on why it is that women aren't engaging financially. And that's where Empowered Worth was birthed from. Okay. So what was it that, um, that really triggered you to say, this is not only something that's needed, but it's also going to be a good business model? How did you, how did you determine that focusing on women was not only something that was necessary, but it was also something that could be lucrative for you? Well, I looked, I looked at the data. I, being a, num a numbers person, I looked at it and I saw the trends that I was seeing in finance. Back in 2018, 2019, every Wall Street bank was putting out literature about women and money. There was an amazing book called The $21 um, Trillion Dollar Opportunity. That was be, that was um, created by one of the funds out there, and this book really talked about how women in 2021, 2022, were going to have an estimated 21 trillion dollars of assets of worth at their disposal. Yet women were only about 40 percent of them were making long-term financial decisions in their households. So there was a disconnect there. I started working on what the disconnect was. And what I started doing was asking the women who were engaging 
with us as clients um, in financial planning or who weren't that maybe they were the spot you know of a, of a joint account the, the woman that we never saw why are you not coming in it always came back to a lack of confidence well, what's that lack of confidence? There's a huge lack of financial education that's lacking. We're not teaching our children personal finance. We're not, unless you take a finance course in college, you'll never learn this. So they felt really uncomfortable. And then there were all the societal programming that women had. You're not good with money. Your husband will handle this. Um, don't worry your little self about that. All that is what I'm really working to change because women are going to be in charge of money. I think it might be a little bit more delayed now with COVID and what that's done to women in the workforce. But I do think that within the next five years, women are going to be the ones that Wall Street firms are coming to going, I want to invest your assets. All right. So let's, you, you touched on uh, what's going on with COVID and how it's impacting women in the workforce. Explain that. So just um, imagine you have an audience. I think our audience, uh, you know, is split along the lines of like 65, uh, 35 men, women. Explain that you're, explain it to a bunch of dumb guys, like what's going on with women in the workforce, because, you know, in, in reading through the material that, uh, that, that the, the marketing stuff that, that you've put out for your firm, that's all over your marketing stuff. And that's really the only place that I've seen it. So educate us, help us understand how COVID has disproportionately affected women. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy you point that out. It's something that I've been passionate about and I've been really working about uh, and talking about this since COVID hit. Women predominantly, the industries that we were in, and women before COVID, we were the, we were the majority of people in the workforce. So what happened? We were in healthcare, a lot of women were in hospitality. And uh, obviously two industries that have been hugely, hugely affected by COVID either, or they were in education. So here, here it comes. And now we have the big thing that we've always talked about, childcare. Mm -hmm. How are you going to manage working? If you have the ability to work remotely, which some people did have, had the ability to work remotely and you can't because you got to do day school with your child who's on zoom sitting right next to you and you are now being asked to be a more active participant in your child's education that's really what it came down to there were a lot of things that i saw being written uh there is um, a great mommy blog out there a blogger who wrote about this and wrote about the the roles of women in the family and how we had to really start taking a look at it because even though you may have a conventional family with two you know a mommy and a daddy or two partners one parent was the one taking the responsibility and they were suffering in the workforce it was cute at the beginning of covid Four months in, your boss didn't want to see your child come into the thing. They wanted you to be concentrating. They wanted to see that productivity. So what happened? We are seeing women drop out of the workforce in record numbers. They are literally, they're calling me. I know from talking to financial advisors out there that women are calling them and going, I'm going to take a stop until COVID is over and my child goes back to normal, um, you know, whatever normal is going to be to take care of this because I can't manage everything. I can't do it all. So what happens to women when you're not bringing in income, when you're not saving for retirement, when you're not doing those type of things? What happens? What happens to the economy, really, in general, when you have taken a huge part of the workforce out of the equation? Yeah, no, that's such a good point, because everyone who's working from home and has children who are school age, children who are, say, below the age of middle school, the person who's teaching the children is generally 
the 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 woman in the in the household i mean for whatever reason that for the just societal reasons probably that's that's where the burden falls so if the woman had a full-time job outside of the household she cannot participate in that full-time job i i noticed this with my clients when you know clients would come to me and they would say, look, I can't, I can't do the work we're doing together because I got to watch my kids. They're, they're in virtual school and I just can't, I just can't do it. I, I can't do three things at once. I can't run the household, educate the kids and keep a full-time job at the same time. I can do two of the three, but I can't do all three. So it's a, it's a point well taken. Now, here's the question that I have for you when, so the, when the kids go back to school, is it better for people in that situation, and I'm in that situation, a lot of people are in that situation, is it better to be in a work-from-home environment or is it better to be in an environment where you go into an office every day and, there, and there's some separation? You know, I think it depends on the person. It's not something, and this goes for men and women, I think some people have loved working from home. Mm -hmm. My husband has. My husband, I don't think he's ever going to go back to the, to the office, and that's great. That's working for us. But for some people, they need to have that disconnect, and they like going into the office, and they like putting on their, um, you know, their uniform, that business suit, and transacting business like that. For other people, I think they will stay at home. I do tend to think that we will not go back to a conventional work environment, um, in general, I think something it, we're going to see a massive shift. I'm talking. I'm talking to that. People are telling me, "What do you think about commercial real estate?" I'm saying, "Hold off," because we got to see what happens. How much you know? Our business is going to say, "You know what? You're productive at home. Why am I going to spend the money on the on this rental for these offices if I can get the same productivity from you at home?" So I think there's going to be a lot of shift. I do think that with women in particular, you're going to see more of them say. For those who have been able to handle it, who maybe have older children, have been able to work from home, they might want to stay there. And I think you're going to see a lot of people thinking about the side hustle. That's one of the main conversations. That's something that I'm seeing in a lot of my groups. And when we talk, um, just women in general in the networking, women talking about how the, the side hustle has really become the main hustle. Mm. And that's where they're going to be putting their energies in because they want to be independent of a corporation yeah. in case something like this happens again. Sure, sure. Um, talk a little bit about decisions and decisions in particular related to money. How is it different working with a man compared to working with a woman as somebody who helps them think about their financial future? And this is going to be a shocker. Women are less emotional. Women are truly less emotional. They are much more the investor that I love because they pick something and they will stick with it and they will hold it. If you hold in the market, you tend to see growth. We, I, I don't have a lot of women calling me, asking me, you know, about GameStop. I'm not getting those questions from them. So they, they don't think like that. They really do. And the other thing I love about the women investors is that they pick what they know. They were the first people. When I, when I was sitting in a charity thing one day, all, everybody was talking about Amazon and this thing called Amazon Prime and subscriptions. I took note and I said, I got to buy Amazon because everyone here is talking about that. That's what I think really resonates. Women have the pulse. Remember, 98% of consumer spending decisions are made by women. Mm. So they know what product out there is resonating, what's working, what's fad, what's not. If you want to know what's going to be the next thing, ask a teenage 
girl or a college girl. She can tell you what's going to be the next thing to hit. And look at that. I, I think the same thing with, with things that are going to become staples in the household. Ask a mom. Okay. No, I, I, I love that. I think that's, I, I think that's kind of, it's almost like Warren Buffett-esque, right? You don't, you yeah. don't invest in things you don't use. Well, don't invest in things unless you, you know, unless you talk to a woman, especially if you're, if you're going to invest in uh, products that are consumer driven. Um, all right. So let's, let's think about how we can create a workforce where, uh, particularly in financial services, where women are, uh, in comparable positions to men, does it start at at the educational level? Does it start with a better, you know, a better foundation in education uh, related to finance for uh, for young women? How does it? How how would you, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand, how would you set up women for success in finance? I, you know, I would say a little bit of it is um, that that high school education. But I do think that we've made great headways in STEM and having having young girls get involved and know that math and STEM careers are important and they can do that type of work. But now, once you get hired, you have to foster it. And it's really hard when you can't be mentored. Um, and it's really hard when the female mentors aren't there. They just aren't there in finance. And it's that, I think, is the biggest thing. And then after that, for women in a trajectory of getting to the C-suite in a financial firm, it comes to the moment of when you decide to be a mother. How are you going to handle childcare? You can't really step out of that career and step back into it and really realistically see the gains in terms of a business um, path. So I think that those are important things that we as a society have to talk about mentorship for women and having to figure out this childcare crisis that we have in this country. It's, it's imperative. Yeah. So the best workplaces these days are workplaces that attempt to solve some of those problems. So for example, they have on-site childcare or they have childcare nearby and maybe they provide some sort of a subsidy to, to help with childcare. Along the lines of mentorship, what is, what is the ideal mentorship model for helping, a, you know, for helping a woman become more successful in a career like finance? Does the woman have to uh, see someone who looks like her to emulate her, or can she be mentored by a, you know, a smart, uh, successful male? I actually think that when women are mentored by men, uh, it has a greater impact. I have to be really honest with you. I think you can. There's, there's de definitely situations in which a female mentor works. I think that maybe in a group environment, if a company set up lunch and learns where you have a senior woman talking and and talking and having open discussion about what it is to be in the industry, that would be fantastic. But there's great, great, great stuff between that one-on-one -on -one mentorship. And that's one of the things that I've, it's been a little bit sad to see because I know I've talked to a lot of male counterparts in finance who have said after Me Too, they were just scared. They were, they were scared to be in a room with a woman and be mentoring her and have it be misconstrued. So that's something that I think we have to work on, getting men to reintegrate and to feel comfortable doing that type of mentorship because it really, really matters. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So how do you, uh, how do you propose that we, um, that we get men um, comfortable with that? And it seems kind of, 
seems kind of odd that we're talking about making men comfortable in relationship to me too right but what what needs to what needs to be in place to make men more comfortable I, you know what? I don't know. I think I think it really comes from men men themselves. I think men just need to approach the situation from a think of it as your sister, your mother, your daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and do what would be appropriate. Then is what I like to say. You don't have to be closed door. You can do a mentorship. You can have a meeting with your mentor in the cafeteria if right. your office has that, or outdoors. There's plenty of ways of doing it. Uh, just be appropriate. I think if everybody is above board and appropriate and you know how to carry yourself, you're not going to get into those sticky situations. Uh, so I just think it's natural after Me Too, and I think it's calmed down now for men to have been a little wary. I have to say, I think it's natural. I think women had to say something, and we had to say it really loudly, um, and that was okay. And now we've settled into something. Let's get back to the table. Mm-hmm. Let's come back to the table together and, and work on that. Okay, so having uh, having worked in finance, tell me about compensation related to um, the work that you're doing with uh, as a you know as as somebody who advises women or advi- advises all people on making investments, right? Is there is the compensation? Do you feel the compensation is equitable uh, in the in, you know in the role that you're in now? It's it's not, and it shouldn't be. I have to say, um, as a financial advisor, I took on a little bit more responsibility because I was actively managing people's assets. Now I'm more of a consultant. Uh, so it's it's definitely something where to live my passion, I did have to kind of take a little bit of a pay cut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's growing since, since that initial step at the beginning. All my friends are like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get to live what I'm passionate about. So that's something, but I do think that there is great amount of revenue upside in the courses I'm teaching and what I'm doing. And there's a little bit of something that I can't put value to, which is really feeling good about myself. Every single time one of um, my female clients that I'm coaching says, you know, you changed my life, or I know I can do this because I have you in my corner, that, that I can't put a dollar sign in that. Okay, so who is the who is the ideal client then for the coaching work that you're currently doing? I, you know, it's hard. It's hard to say because I, I think I have my ideal client is a woman who wants the help. She's ready to listen. Um, she's a good student, is what I like to say. Mm-hmm. She's going to actually take my advice. I will fire a client if after four sessions we keep going round and round and round and round. You're not ready. Mm-hmm. You're not ready to hear the tough love. And a lot of what I do is tough love because when I'm sitting there with you and we're creating, let's say you're you're just divorced and we're creating your first budget because you haven't had a budget ever um, and you don't want to listen to the realities of the fact that you're now divorced and dealing with less money, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. I can't help you. I mean, I can give you the tough love. We can talk about it a couple of times, but eventually I'm going to say, you know what, when you're ready, come see me again. That's the truth. So I, I really need somebody who has had that aha moment and is ready to do the work. In a lot of ways, I'm a therapist dealing with money because we all have a relationship with money. Sure. So that's a lot of it also. Like, are you willing to put in that sweat equity? Mm-hmm. 
And when you're when you're targeting your clients, is uh, is it someone who has had a life event? Are they the perfect person for you, or is it somebody who just has never been, you know, involved in the family finances? And you know, the spouse uh, says, you know, I would love for you to take a more active role, but I don't have time to share everything I'm doing here with, you know, and teach you. Who's the who is that perfect person? Is it one of those two people or both of them? Well, it, it's both of them, honestly, okay. because it, if you have a husband that goes and says that to you, that's amazing. Mm. Uh, usually my clients tend to be tra uh, what I call um, life transitioning of, in some sort because that's when women have that aha moment of I've got to get involved with my finances. It's divorce. It's widowing. And more and more and more, it's inheriting funds. Mm. And they have never been set up by their their parents to inherit wealth. So you recall it Sudden Money. There's a great book called Sudden, Sudden Money and Sudden Wealth out there. I can't remember the author now, but it talks about that. It's like winning the lottery in a lot of situations. And those are the women that are seeking you out going, I want to do this because there's so much noise that happens when you get divorced or when you're widowed or when you've inherited money from so many people that having a coach kind of helps drown that out and centers you and helps you make the right decisions. Because in that first year, you are very liable to squander all the money that you got from your divorce or your inheritance. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's, so uh, take us through it. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a new client and, you know, you have to start from scratch with me. What's the first thing we look at? The first thing I'm going to look at is I'm doing an intake. We're doing that really virtually. You're doing that. You're sending it to me. I'm going to look through all that. One of the things that I love to do is I love to put everybody through my money scripts worksheet. It's in my book just to see where you fall in terms of your relationship with money. Are you a money avoider? Are you money vigilant? Are you a money worshiper? There's four different um, money personalities that you can have because that's going to tell me if we have to do a lot of deeper work then i'm working straight out i want to know what your budget is mm -hmm. show me your budget everybody has to have a budget if we don't have one we're going to create one um i'm also at that point when when we do the intake you're sending me your statements whatever you may have send them to me um a lot of times i get the thing of i don't know where they are Mm. That, 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 that's a red flag. Right. Um, so we're going to work on finding that stuff, but I'm working on looking privately on my side. That's my homework, looking at the statements, doing an analysis like of that, the way I would have for a potential financial advising client, and then looking at the budget. And then once the budget is, is clear and I know that she, she, this person has a good grasp on it and she's being realistic, then we start working on the, on the investments. Unless, of course, they come in and they go, no, 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 we need to look at the investments immediately. We can do that. But I'd like to set a good foundation. I think if you look at a pyramid, budget's that base thing right there. If you don't have a budget, you can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about the importance of um, estate planning documents and where, where they come into play. Because one of the things that... I see people struggle with. I have uh, I have several people, uh, clients, friends, relatives in my life who've gone through these transitional events, and the their family is now more reliant upon them, right? And they there there's no estate plan. So talk about the need for an estate plan. What do people need when it comes to uh, thinking about stuff like that? Uh. Okay, first of all, first and foremost, to everyone listening, everyone needs an estate plan. Whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're, whatever it is, you need an estate plan. Uh, what The main thing that I like to tell everybody is when you do the estate plan, especially if you're married, 
bring all the components in together. If you're older, if you're in that 55 um, and up or 65 and up range, bring your children into the estate planning thing. I think it's really important to look at asset protection, um, to have a discussion. I say this to financial advisors all the time. They would look at me like shocked. The mother or the woman in the family needs to be part of that because you might just be thinking about the assets and putting in the trust and securing it and not paying the taxes. She's the one that's going to tell you, you know what, Jimmy, Jimmy can't handle money. So we're going to need somebody to be responsible for his trust because I don't want him to be able to squander it because he's not good with money. And we need to have those insights. Estate planning is a holistic thing in, in my mind. We need to have the accountant. We need to have, of course, the trust and estate attorney there. They're going to know the legalese, but we may even need in certain situations to, to have a family powwow and discuss it. I know I've done that when, when my parents did their estate. I sat down and I gave my opinion about my children uh, and had a say in that because no one wants to have a situation where grandchildren are given a lot of money and it causes worse problems. So that's definitely something. And if you're divorced, my thing is off the bat, your divorce attorney should be putting you in touch with a trust and estate attorney because it does happen, things happen, and all of a sudden the person you hated and tried to get away with gets your money mm -hmm. because you didn't make any changes. That's also, my other big thing is beneficiaries. Look at those beneficiaries on those retirement accounts regularly. Make sure that they're who you want it to be. It changes. Same thing happens with um, children. I think we've, a lot of us set up that first kind of basic will when we have small children because we're gonna take a vacation. And then we forget 10 years passes and now, you don't like the person you left your kids to. Well, you forget about that until you go to revise the will and you're like, oh no, I don't want them raising my children. Let me change that. Imagine if something had happened in that time, they would have gotten your kids. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, all excellent points. Really, really good points. What about uh, the family who, uh, the breadwinner, whether it's the, the primary wage earner, whether it's a man or a woman, what if they're self-employed? How does that impact the, um, you know, the, the financial plan? You know what? It, it, it can impact it a little bit in terms of divorce for me. When I deal with women, the main thing that I have to say is, has anything been set aside for you? Has anything been done in terms of a retirement plan for you? Was, is there a spousal IRA? Is there anything going on at all? A lot of times also with women, and I talk about this in my book, when it comes to having husbands who have their own business, they are not aware of how the money is made. Mm. And people look at me and go, you're joking. I go, no, 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 this is true. They'll tell you, I have thousands of, my husband's an entrepreneur. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Oh, he owns his own business. Okay, but what does that business mean? How does he make money? I have no idea. Right. They don't know. They don't know how the revenue streams or anything work for the business. He gets hit by a car and all of a sudden you have to go into that business and represent him you don't know how right you don't have an idea so my main thing when it comes to to um, family businesses is make sure that the non-active partner because you are the partner even though you may not be the majority breadwinner in that business you know what's going on mm -hmm. have a state of the union every so often and ask hey what's going on do i need to know anything are there any contract negotiations what's going on listen and keep your ears to the ground Okay, so let's talk about um, situations where the there there may be there may be problems in the relationship or problems in the marriage, 
and the you know the woman in the relationship is thinking that she wants to leave the relationship at some point what does she need to do what steps does she need to take to be prepared for the financial reality that she's going to face post relationship the first thing you should do is have a honest conversation with i call it a divorce coach if you don't want to spend the money on the coach and you have a good friend, everybody knows somebody who's been divorced. Mm-hmm. Have an honest and frank conversation, a private conversation. Um, because women don't think that. Women watch, I don't know, TV, Netflix, and they have this idea that you're going to get half and you're, and it, that's not how it works out. And people, the first thing I say, it's don't get emotional about money. Be smart. So maybe having that house is not the right idea. Maybe it ends up being an albatross around your neck and you could have gotten other assets that would have really served you better. Mm -hmm. So definitely that's where a therapist comes into play during a divorce thing and having that that person say, well, what what does the future look like? How am I going to do this? And having that realistic picture. After that, from my standpoint, and I'm a certified divorce financial analyst as well, I always say to everybody, if you're thinking about getting divorced, make sure you start downloading onto a thumb drive all the documents Mm -hmm. because we don't want to be bogged down in discovery having to subpoena and get these things so have your your last statement have a copy of the tax return have anything and everything do a credit check make sure that your spouse has not pulled credit out in your name that you are not aware of or signed your your jan hancock on something that you had no idea now you're in debt do those steps. Um, if it's if it's that bad and you are going to the divorce attorney, make sure you have that because that's actually billable hours that you won't have to incur because you've been able to say, I have it all and it's all organized. Organization is key in those first months of divorce that you have it all and that you have realistic expectations. I, I, always, I always fear when a woman comes to me and she thinks she's going to live the same lifestyle. No, you're going to live half the lifestyle. Yeah. It's half the assets. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a very, very good point. No, that's an that's an excellent point. Um, let's talk about kids. How do we how do we talk to our kids about money? What have What have you done? What do you do in your family? Well, I have two girls. Um, I have a a twenty year old and a seventeen year old, and I have always talked about money very, very early on. I do not believe that money is a bad word. I do not believe it is rude or impolite to talk about money. It's it might be in certain situations. I'm not going to drop my net worth on a funeral, but um, I'm definitely very, very, very blunt with my children as to when it was appropriate. This is what mommy and daddy make, and this is what we do with our money, and this is how we invest it. Granted, I have a financial background. I tell people, talk to your kids about money. Talk If you have a son and a daughter, talk to them the same about money. There was an article in Fast Company in 2019, very telling. It talked about how a couple spoke differently to their daughter about money than to their son. Mm. They raised their son to be more assertive, more more of a risk taker, and the daughter was supposed to be more, somebody will handle it for you, don't worry about it. We're talking 2019. Yeah. You'd think it was two, uh, you know, 1950. This is 2019. So talk to them in the same way. Allowances are key. Um, start your child off really, really early with an allowance. Mm-hmm. Uh, age appropriate. I always say if your child is 10, give them $10. That's fine. They don't need anything more than that. And when the money is done, the money is done. 
And, and I still believe that. I I know that eventually you have to give your child a credit card. Try to hold that off as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then my final thing, and this is something I, I'm on a soapbox about. Mm. When the child is getting ready to go to college, um, that's the biggest financial decision you will make when you make it at 17. That's the reality of it. Yep. You need to have that discussion as a family. Because children think that mom and dad are going to pay for it. And you're not, you don't have to if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. So to have a conversation about how you're going to pay for college and what that looks like and what college debt looks like. Interesting. Okay. And when it comes to getting them, immersing them in the world of finance, you mentioned uh, an allowance and, you know, I'm, I'm assuming earning the allowance with, you know, chores and that sort of thing. How about from how early do you think it makes sense for a kid to go out and get like a part-time after school or on a weekend's job? Um, you know, how, how young is too young? At what point do you think it makes sense for them to do that? 13. Really? That young? Wow. That that's young. pretty young. That young. That transition between eighth grade and being 14, um, you know, eighth and ninth grade, they can work at a summer camp. Now, does that mean that, that they're going to be paid? Not necessarily, but they could be paid in service hours. Mm-hmm. Um, usually by the time they're 14, 15, they start actually making money from things. But I want to start in putting into your child a work ethic. You get up in the morning, you go to that job, mm-hmm. you want it, those, you're earning those service hours that you need for school anyway. So kind of that, and you can even say, look, you do camp, I know they're not paying you, but that's a job and I'm going to maybe supplement you a little bit more on your allowance. I do believe that allowances should be tied to chores uh, in some way, shape, or form. I, I I always did that with my kids. The chores weren't outrageous, set the table, mm-hmm. do minor things. I think it's important to put that work ethic back into society and into kids and have them know it's not just going to be handed to you. Um, and then definitely, I think by the time that they can have a car, wherever that may be, wherever you're in Florida, it's 16. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to get a car. Well, you get one tank of gas and the next tank of gas is on you. So you better have a job to pay for it. Having daughters. And I do have to say, this is actually one of those ironies is a lot easier because girls can babysit and mm-hmm. girls tutor and they do other things. And I do think in that sense, boys are at a disadvantage. You don't get boys hired anymore to mow the neighbor's lawn. Um, but if you can definitely find something for them to do, network for your child and find them a great summer opportunity, do that. It's, it gives them self-esteem. It's yeah. about self-esteem and self-worth. Okay, great. Talk to us about uh, empoweredworth.com. What can, what can people find on empoweredworth.com? Who should go there and what, um, what, what, is, you know, what is available to people at, uh, at your website? Well, who should go to EmpowerWorth.com? We are geared towards women. And what I say is if you are the Empowered Worth woman, you are a woman who's sitting there going, I wish at some point someone had taught me how to do X with my money because that is what we do. We are going to teach you how to do X, whether it's cash management, debt management, figuring out your insurance options, investing, financial planning, retirement planning. We actually have a very basic free membership, and that comes with on-demand courses that are introductory on all of those topics. You sign up there for the membership. You can get that. You can then either upgrade to our premier membership. You can sign up for a master class. We have a master class starting in April. That's like a financial boot camp or coaching, one-on-one coaching, whatever it is you'd like. But everything is there. I have my blog there, my podcast is there. That is your one-stop shop 
for financial education and empowerment. It's all the content, even my affiliates that we're launching this year are women creating content for women to empower them. Okay, that's great. So if you want to find out more about working with Vicky or you want to take a course or take a whole bunch of courses or go through a masterclass boot camp, go to empoweredworth.com, empoweredworth.com. When people go there to take the courses, what uh, do they do they need anything? Do they need to get their financial documents together or do they need to prepare anything in advance? No. The courses are easy. They like I said they're on demand, so if you are a working mom, or a college student and you don't have time, you can take them at your leisure. There is no time frame here. You sign up for the membership, you can take them, you watch the videos, you can do the worksheets at your leisure. That's all you have to do. Once we get into coaching, yes, there we're going to have to do um, a little bit of a financial brain dump um, and take a little bit more of a deeper dive. But this is just educational. Okay, and the ideal person to do that is actually anybody can go take the courses. The perfect person for coaching is somebody who's going through a transition, like a life, uh, a life change or... Yeah, I, I would definitely say that. Or someone who's had that aha moment for whatever reason. You're, you're just sitting there going, you know what, I've gotta, I, maybe I'm overspending and I've got to stop. Maybe I just want to figure out how to retire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, folks, we've been talking with Vicki Lowell. She's been our guest today for our Necessary Conversation series. We talked a little bit about women and money. We talked about how you should handle your money. We talked about kids and money. If you have questions, concerns, or you want to learn more about managing your finances, I want you to go to empoweredworth.com empoweredworth.com. You can find a whole host of really good, valuable information on Vicki's website. She's got a podcast. She's got a blog. She's got all those courses available for you. Vicki, it was a pleasure having you on today. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we've taken you inside the business strategy associated with handling your money. We've given you some insider business secrets, and we'll be right back here again tomorrow for another Inside BS show. Until then, Here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.